This is Bob Cudmore. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the book, You Can't Go Wrong. We're going to hear the title story in uh, just a moment. do want to mention that the current uh, re-recording of uh, this podcast uh, being done at Dave Green's Eastline studio. The original recording was uh, made at the studio of the late uh, audio engineer, Bob Noble. Stories from Nero. You can't go wrong. Everyone in Nero loves a deal. You can't go wrong is a popular phrase in Nero. A person might say, you get meatloaf, mashed potatoes, string beans, coffee, and a soft dessert for $2.99. You can't go wrong. Even if the meatloaf is tasteless, the potatoes pasty, the beans soggy, the coffee bitter, and the jello tough, it's still a deal. Everyone in Nero loves a deal. Working piecework in the Nero sock mills made the people appreciate quantity as opposed to quality. Upstaters admire large quantities, just as the sock mill foreman used to admire higher production. The good sock weavers made better socks, but the guys who turned out more socks were the ones who had the most money to spend at the Four Clover Tavern after work. One place where a Neroite enjoys a bargain is at a drinking establishment. The city has several ethnic clubs, men's clubs mainly, where the primary functions are to provide secluded places, as much as possible off-limits to the wives, where members gamble, drink, and eat decent food at a good price. If a member of the Sons of St. Adelbardio wins a pot in a poker game, he can treat the whole table to drinks for under $10. A member can take somebody for lunch on Guest Friday and get two beers, two hot dogs, and fries for $3. You know what I'm thinking. You can't go wrong. Also, you can't go wrong in a Nero rummage sale. A coat that costs two bucks is still a coat, even if it has a questionable odor. In Nero, of course, there are lots of ways you can go wrong, and your fellow Neroites are more than happy to point out your foolishness. You probably paid too much for your car, or paid the guy who moonlights from the fire department too much to put asphalt siding on the house. Nobody in Nero likes to be seen as a person who wastes money. We're very closed-mouthed about money in upstate New York, we tell our friends details about family, sickness, even sex, but how much money do we have? Usually folks change the subject. Even though Nero is pretty decrepit, the banks seem to flourish. The story is that banks in Nero have more on deposit per capita than banks anywhere in the state. Some of the really suspicious old-timers have literally hidden their loot at home. Saving money became an obsession with immigrant Nero whites because they came here with nothing, and when many of them got here, the Depression was underway or was a potent memory. To this day, you don't find too many recyclable soda cans in the park where the Nero old-timers hang out. I can hear one of the guys now. Five cents just to walk a can over to the Stewarts? Hey, you can't go wrong. We're about to visit Nero at various times of the year, starting with the holiday season. Before we do, allow me to introduce John Shalino, who performs the music on this audiobook. Before we talk about Nero at the holidays, John performs his instrumental song, Where the Road Leads.
Nero at Christmas time. Garish decorations and boisterous conviviality saved the holidays. In the old days, the Nero 5 and 10 had big styrofoam snowmen and glitter-spattered white cotton snow in the windows. The real department store windows were elaborately decorated with moving Santas, elves, and teddy bears. People thronged Main Street. Unlike today's indoor malls, if there was snow, the Main Street shopping area became slushy because you had to go outside when you went from store to store. You felt the elements more when you shopped in downtown Nero and dressed for the weather. That probably cut down the time you spent inside each store, given the quantity of clothing you were wearing. We enjoyed lunch at the counter of the 5 and 10, even though the yellow gravy on the turkey dinner had an odd color. The gravy tasted all right, but the color was something not found in nature. One good thing about winter in Nero was that the polluted Keep Them Under Creek didn't stink as it did in the summertime. The word homeless was not part of the vocabulary in the old days, but there were beggars downtown. One man with only one leg had a regular spot next to the 5 and 10 where he sat selling pencils. An upstanding church-going lady once confided she wanted to kick the man with the one leg. Seeing adversity close up can bring out the worst, even in December. The bar rooms did a brisk business, were always decorated for the holidays. Even the really awful joints managed to look good in December. Colored lights, a lighted Santa or two, and early sunsets made all the difference. The men and women who worked in the factory spent more time than normal in the taverns during the long nights of the holiday season, often to the chagrin of their families. Taverns were a major part of the social life of Nero in its industrial prime. When the factories let out, people would pour out of the mills like a river. Little branches would break off to go to their flats. Other streams of people, though, would head for various bar rooms. Most taverns in Nero were on hills because the whole town was built on hills. The Four Clover Inn, a basement tavern, halfway up a steep hill, is still in business. Some continue to call the Four Clover the Knee Pad Inn, the story being that the more tipsy patrons crawl out on their knees so they won't roll down the hill when they hit the street. Years ago, people didn't worry about drinking and driving because most people didn't drive to the bar rooms. They walked. The drinking caused some terrible fights, just like today. People weren't as well armed, so they didn't kill or maim each other as often. And most of the factory workers were proud that they almost always went to work and put in a full day despite their drinking. There were many characters in the old Nero taverns, like Stan, the former Four Clover bartender. He always called you by name and told you not to slip on the ice on the way out. Even if you had slipped back then, you probably wouldn't have sued him. There was Silent Ike, who sat on a bar stool, drank, and didn't say a word. Ike was sweet on one of the ladies in the bar. He used to buy her whatever she mentioned. If she said she needed a stamp for a letter, next day Ike brought her a whole roll of stamps. Another character was Smiling Frank, the resident curmudgeon. Whatever it was, he'd seen better. Nice day, Frank, you'd tell him. I've seen better, was the reply. Of course, let's not get too misty about the old days in the tavern scene. The attitude of the general population toward heavy drinking may have been more tolerant, but drinking took its toll. This year I joined my old friend Disease Cotter at the annual holiday party at his men's club, the Sons of St. Adelbardio, which was decorated with cheap silver and gold garlands and fake greenery. The waitresses wore blinking light corsages that played holiday tunes. The garish decorations and boisterous conviviality did a great deal to keep spirits bright at this time of year, which can be gloomy for some. Disease said, The Veterans Club used to host a children's Christmas party, which I always went to when I was young. A lot of poor kids got some nice toys at that party. On Christmas Eve, my aunts and uncles used to come over to our house after spending time at the Four Clover Inn, where there was plenty of holiday cheer. 
My mother was not one for drinking and usually had some comment to make. It made for a lively gathering. People went to church, of course. In the big church downtown that we attended, we always used candles Christmas Eve. When you came in to sit down, they gave you lighted candles. The choir, which had more than one or two members with failing eyesight, would march into the darkened church, balancing hymn books and lighted candles while they sang Joy to the World, It's a Wonder Somebody Didn't Trip and Start a Fire. As for New Year's Eve, while Albany, Saratoga, Gloversville, and Amsterdam had had first night celebrations, the concept of a community-wide, family-friendly, art-centered way to celebrate New Year's Eve has not taken hold in Nero. In fact, Nero still offers a scaled-down version of what it was that first night replaced. In the old days, when factory work was steady and plentiful, people in Nero regarded New Year's Eve as what you might call last night. New Year's Eve was your last chance during the holiday season to really tie on a load before the mill opened again the day after tomorrow. Disease told me, maybe I'll go to first night in Saratoga on New Year's Eve, but I'll probably end up back at the Four Clover or at the Suns. It'll be the regular crowd, kind of cozy. The Nero bar scene isn't what it was, but it's better than nothing. In fact, that guy at the end of the bar reminds me of our old friend Smiling Frank. Nice day, isn't it, buddy? This is Bob Cudmore, the announcer for the podcast. You can't go wrong is Diane Ward. You've just heard episode two. Hope you'll be listening to episode three real soon.